Oh, it's me. Yeah, uh-huh. it is you. Yeah. <laughs> It's Friday, January the 13th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Domestic Headbanger, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Nazi Gold Digger. So, <laughs> Paul, uh, yes, uh, well, uh, Happy New Year, first of all, and Happy New Year, happy to, New Year to all, our, all our listeners. It's the first podcast yes. of the year, Friday the 13th, uh, probably appropriate. It's been one of those weeks where absolutely nothing happened until like about sort of lunchtime on Thursday, and then suddenly there's been a <laughs> flood of news, which we'll all yeah. get to. But before that, last week, we had a particularly kind of um, uh, a story that uh, caught the world's attention. Um, and uh, as a result, you've been out, I think, uh, in Zichelderland of Reisel with your metal detector and your spade, right? To, to uh, try trying think... to find Nazi treasure chests. Yeah, it's in uh, in Gelderland in Ommeren. Um, um, on, on January first, um, uh, we call it Revelation Day. All the top secret documents of the National Archive are released, and um, uh, journalists who uh, yeah are little bit bored of spending time with their families I think they rush to the National Archives in The Hague and they uh, start digging in all these documents that have been uh, uh, disclosed and um, I think it was uh, a special year because uh, uh, a lot of um, documents relating to research uh, uh, on former Nazis during the Second World War were released, and uh, it one of them contained a very special, um, literally a, a treasure map. A treasure map, yes, great. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it was a document drawn by 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 a former uh, collaborator uh, who said that at that location in Ommeren in Gelderland, um, uh, he or Germans had uh, 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 hidden a treasure. Um, and uh, yeah, when that came out, um, uh, journalists started tweeting about that, of course, and it made international headlines because uh, yeah, a Nazi treasure that uh, speaks to the imagination, of course. Yeah, and, it's irresistible, uh, isn't it? Any story about Nazi gold. There's a story that keeps coming around. I think it's in possibly in Poland, where there's supposed to be the Nazis are supposed to have sort of buried a train full of gold bullion. Yeah, and people keep going out, and every every couple of years, a story pops up that somebody's found this train. Of course, inevitably they haven't. This is kind of there's lots of mythical Nazi gold stashes around Europe, and this is. Uh, this is one of them and uh, yeah sure enough yeah. Uh, so people and people from all over the Europe people from the UK have been turning up with metal detectors and of course to the enormous uh, irritation of the landowners uh, because this is yeah. obviously on somebody's land but also of course of the municipality because they've actually imposed a ban on uh, using metal detectors in the area yeah. um, and there is, generally, and there is generally it's generally illegal to go around digging on people's land without permission so yeah. but that doesn't hasn't yeah. put off these uh, these people it seems uh, there are dozens of them out there yeah, I, I just love that the municipality of Bure was thinking of ways of how how are we going to prevent all these people from digging uh, uh, and, and, and coming to our municipality and searching for this treasure. Let's impose a ban on metal detectors. <laughs> no, yeah, it's that classic response, isn't it? Send in yeah. the Boas. They'll be, yeah. they'd, they'd be rubbing their hands at the idea of, man- of another reason to find people. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah and that area... 
um, uh, in de Betuwe uh, nearby. Ommeren was uh, part of the um, uh, front line of uh, Operation Market Garden. And it is expected that a lot of German uh, soldiers who were fighting in that particular battle um, um, uh, had hidden all their treasures and all their gold and everything there that was worth uh, saving. Uh, um, um, watches, uh, jewelry, uh, you name it. Uh, they have um, buried it over there. Um, and, and I love that this treasure map literally included a red cross yeah. where um, <laughs> where the treasure was supposedly uh, uh, hidden. Yeah. Um, the is hidden yeah, draw- underneath uh, three three poplar trees or something, wasn't it? But they've been cut down, so no one knows where the, yeah, where the spot like is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's, it's, so the hunt it's, goes it's, on. It could be... Yeah, the hunt goes on. Um, and if you're going to hunt uh, for treasure, do not use a metal detector, but uh, something else. Yes. And your job title, Domestic <laughs> Headbanger, um, does this have anything to do with the top 2000? No, actually, it doesn't have anything to do with the top 2000. In fact, I've forgotten about oh. the top 2000. It's it's like it <laughs> didn't happen now. Um <laughs> But uh, um, but no, no no this is uh, a much more um, down to earth thing. Is do your parents have um, a lamp in their living room that hangs very low over the coffee table or the dining table? And uh, because it seems to be a feature nope. of Dutch houses. Okay, well, I'm glad about that. But uh, lots of lots of people uh, lots of people do. I remember my grandmother in law's house. So there's a notorious one over the coffee table. They're, they're, she had a very high ceiling and then a lamp that hangs down on a cord that must be about <laughs> sort of you know at least. At least of two meters long, and of course every time she you could get have up used the it as a table, scientific experiment to to prove the Earth rotation. There. Maybe that, or maybe a scientific yeah. experiment to see you know what uh, how, to see whether you can actually get concussion from standing up from a table. Because inevitably, of course, when you when you get up to you know to to, to, to collect another piece of cheese um, or something, um, <laughs> then you, you whack your head on this thing, so you end up uh, leaving your for, you know, to, so at the end of a family visit, everyone's walking around with bruised heads because they've uh, yeah they, 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 they've collided with the coffee lamp they've collided with the ceiling lamp rather and um yeah i, I, have I, I just wonder what the mentality is of, uh, of, of a country that decides on mass to uh, to to put these um very dangerous that hang these very dangerous things in their houses it's, I, I guess it kind then, of falls into the pattern of having lethal staircases and um you know <laughs> and, 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 and and refusing to put put stair gates in for your children and just generally dutch houses seem to be one of the most dangerous places on earth uh, especially for um, um, the tallest people on earth, it seems to seems a little bit odd to hang yeah. your, uh, your your ceiling lamp so low. But uh, th- these ceiling lamps they hang over a table, right? They hang over a table. Yeah, d- 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 this is inspired what, by the fact that what are that you doing stay... with your head above a table? Well, no. When you stand up from the table, obviously your head has to go somewhere, and it, it goes higher. And because these lamps are not just they don't just hang very low, but they're also very wide. So. They kind of overhang mm. the table, or as you get up, you know, maybe you're sort of um, uh, look, looking, uh, you're peering down at the table at the same time to kind of uh, to, because you're you're selecting a piece of cheese from the various cubes that are on the wooden plank in front of you with, with the little cocktail sticks in um, and then w- while you're surveying the cheese board um, yeah, you don't notice the fact that uh, the, 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 you're looming perilously close to the overhead lamp but the, the, this is inspired by the fact that I went to stay um, I went away for uh, the, the week after Christmas for the second week of the school holiday and stayed in a house that had these two enormous what felt like kind of concrete lamps basically framing from the ceiling and uh, <laughs> yeah it came back sort of bruised and battered from uh, these in- close encounters with the with the lighting 
Yeah, so um, um, uh, be careful when you when you're visiting people uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, yeah, uh, but but we we'll we'll say hat. that. Um, yeah, or, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, wear wear a construction helmet uh, just in case. Um, 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 do you know the phrase "tegen de lamp lopen"? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. You literally wait, wait, did wait, wait, that. Wait. Yeah, I literally, you literally do do that. Like Fred exactly. house at a wedding. Yes. Um, yeah, let's uh, move on to the. Uh, let's move on to your pair for the week. week. There's absolutely um, no link between that and uh, and lighting. I don't think. Uh, no. So. No. Nothing whatsoever. We established uh, in the Christmas break special that a year is not complete without Anne Frank related ophef. And for 2023, that moment comes early um, because every year the Postcode Loterij publish a uh, voordeel gids. Are you a member of the Postcode Loterij, Gordon? I'm not a member of the Postcode Loterij, no. I was very briefly, and I think I won the prize mm. in the first couple of weeks, and it was some kind of worthless, you know, so the, 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 most of the prizes are junk, right? You get like sort of... Yeah. Uh, yeah, so little... I, I think I got like a, a quartet game or something, which is okay because I've got kids, yeah. but I realized when I surveyed the catalog that this was not worth... Uh, this is not something... I was just going to fill up my house with clutter, basically, if I continue to win these prizes. So I canceled my subscription. Yeah, yeah the Postcode Loterij is a lottery that uh, uses your postcode as a lottery ticket. And that means that uh, if you win... Uh, a prize on that on the on on your ticket. It means that your neighbors will also win a prize. And um, um, basically, this lottery has made um, a neighbors jealousy and envy into a business model. Yeah. Because you, of course, you 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 wouldn't want uh, your neighbors to win uh, a prize of millions of euros and uh, uh, leaving you without. So that no. is it's it's basically your 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 blackmailed into yeah. into buying lottery yeah, the tickets whole thing because is of built your neighbors. The, the whole foundation. Jealousy. The thing is the fear of missing out, right? You, you don't yeah, want the, yeah, the idea yeah. that your your neighbours would suddenly get much richer than you is in, in, intolerable, especially to people in in the Netherlands. Well, not just in the Netherlands, so uh, yeah. So, so everyone everyone signs up. And, and because uh, your lottery ticket is your postcode, you you will know when you have missed out. So yes. uh, that is that is the blackmail uh, component of this lottery. But uh, every year they also publish a uh, voordeel gids. As I said, that's a catalog full of discounts and promotions for people who have bought a ticket in the lottery. And one of the promotions this year was a set of free tickets to the Anne Frank House. Okay, that's nice you think. But what really caused Ophef was the free borrelplank in the museum's cafe worth seven euros and fifty cents. That was also included um, a borrel plank for people who don't know is basically a plate of cheese and deep fried food which uh, you will probably bang your head against a, uh, a ceiling <laughs> exactly. uh, lamp if you're trying to yeah. to to uh, to reach for uh, one of these items uh, and you typically share them uh, while having a couple of alcoholic drinks yeah, at, which increases uh, your bottle. chances of banging your head on the ceiling lamp Exactly, yeah. Um, and people on Twitter shared the flyer and they were wondering if the museum, that's about, of course, a teenage Jewish girl that uh, had to hide with her family for over two years in an attic for the Nazis, uh, really thinks it's an appropriate place to drink beer and wine over there. And some said the giveaway was even more in- insensitive than the Anne Frank Bull of Blonde Amsterdam we, we uh, talked about uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago and it's also included in the Opeth of the Year special. And others pointed out that the original 
original price of the Borrelplank is exactly the same as the reward people got from the Nazi occupiers for disclosing locations of Jews in hiding. Uh, three uh, Reichsdalders, or seven guilders and 50 cents. And uh, the Israel Information and Documentation Center, CIDI, said in a statement that it finds the promotion clumsy and inappropriate. And while they suspect no malicious intent, uh, it added that the offering of free snacks is not in line with the museum's sad story. Mm. And following the opheft, the museum had decided in consultation with the Bosco Loterij to end the promotion and they will replace it by something else. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So it's so, so a good. Uh, yeah, Anna Frank is uh, yeah up there with Thierry Baudet as uh, the, the, as the major sources of uh, Ophef um, in, in in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. Seems. It is almost uh, starting to become a tradition, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I mean, um, of course, this this museum has a cafe where you can drink something afterwards, basically because that is the way museums uh, earn their money, right? Selling yeah. uh, selling too expensive uh, apple pies and too expensive coffees, uh, especially Anne Frank Museum, because I think they don't even get any sort of uh, uh, um, uh, they, they're not subsidized in any way. Yeah. I think they have decided to be self-funding, uh, and and yeah, this adds do it but yeah i do think that having a sort of uh, after visit party at the Anne frank house no that's uh, no it, it seems doesn't a little seem bit right does it somehow yeah and says so, yeah and so, yeah and, and, and somehow the postcode lottery also when you kind of share your browsers with your neighbors is a bit uh, it, it, yeah it's a bit of a it doesn't sit easily with um obviously anna frank who had to hide away from her neighbors because they were all trying to shop her to the nuts <laughs> so yeah um, and uh, late, yeah, we had the Opeth of the Year special, of course, uh, before the Christmas break. Um, and we had hundreds, hundreds, thousands of votes, uh, especially from one person in Delft for some reason. Mm. Um, and we will uh, uh, disclose the winner and also um, uh, announce who will win, who have won the uh, the special Dutch news mark uh, later in the episode. Yeah, so stay tuned. In this week's news, 2023 gets off to a shaky start for the coalition as Kajan Segers beats Mark Rutte's two-year-old record for the earliest political resignation of the year, and the cabinet has to suspend its plans to limit asylum numbers. Rotterdam is eclipsed by Antwerp as the international drug dealer's port of choice. How far will house prices fall in the wake of the first recorded drop in nine years? And as the chess world descends on Vaikanzee, we try to get to the bottom of a cheating scandal that's rocked the most sedate of sports. Oh no, is, is this the, the butt plug scandal? It, it, it is, it is the, the, the scandal to which you refer, yes. Yeah. Oh no. And that in Aimaude of all places. No, Vaikanzee, but I think yeah. that's part of Aimaude, isn't it? Mm, it's yeah. a little bit further up the coast, I think. Beverwijk, oh yeah. We'll be opening the Zeeslaus on this scandal. Yeah, <laughs> Beverwijk is not that much better than Aimaude, I think. ChristenUnie leader Gert-Jan Segers announced this morning that he will leave politics later this month. Segers has been a member of parliament for 10 years and the leader of the Christian Union faction for 7 years. It is expected that he will be succeeded by Mirjam Bikker, who now serves as deputy leader of the five-seat-strong coalition faction. Segers told NAC in an interview that he feels it is time for him to go. In a letter to party members, he writes that politics is stressful and very demanding, and after a decade as MP, he now wants to spend more time with his family. It was under Segers' leadership that his party joined the coalition of Rutte's third cabinet in 2017 and again in 2021. He writes that he is proud of the results uh, he and his party managed to accomplish in almost six years as the smallest of four coalition partners, especially on the terrains of climate and job security. 
In a statement, Prime Minister Mark Rutte said that he loses an anchor with his departure of uh, with the departure of Segers. He describes Segers as solid, reliable, and trustworthy, adding that he looks back to their long cooperation with warmth and gratitude. Segers says he is planning to write a book about his time in politics. Deputy Prime Minister Carola Schouten said it was a privilege to work together with Segers during her time as MP in coalition negotiations and as a minister. And Segers received praise from almost everyone else in politics um, both present and in the past um, yeah because he is, uh, is such a, um, a reliable partner and he was uh, he was praised uh, uh, from all over the spectrum I think yeah he's, he was kind of um, ended up being the really the key piece in the coalition certainly for the second uh, for the fourth good cabinet rather the, when when the four parties who are in the third cabinet came back together again um, because uh, it looked for most of uh, 2021 if, as if there's a total impasse. They couldn't find put a coalition together. DCC6 had kind of said uh, that they didn't want Chris Nunez back in. Chris Nunez said they didn't want to go back in. And then eventually it was Seychers who kind of held out, uh, extended the hand of uh, friendship. And um, that was how we, that's how we got the same coalition back together, which obviously a lot of people think was a was a bad move, but it was really realistically the only move. And uh, Seychers was instrumental in, in, in achieving that. So you can see why his colleagues uh, were, were kind of full of praise for him. Even Sigrid Kaag, the leader of D66, uh, said uh, and praised his sen- great sense of responsibility, um, even though the two parties obviously haven't seen eye to eye on uh, various issues uh, over the uh, in, in the two terms that they've been in cabinet. When you were describing the key role of Christian I thought initially you were talking about the first cabinet of where the Christian joined, uh, because that yeah. was... Uh, while you were, were saying that, I thought uh, it was very similar, a, f- a very similar scenario uh, 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 w- with the uh, the second time they joined the coalition. Uh, this this sort of dance between Deus Sester and the ChristenUnie right. ChristenUnie is of course um, a, a, a Bible focused party, and their stance on uh, medical ethical issues is uh, is is very different than uh, the liberal Deus Sester party, um, um, and that seemed to have been in the initial uh, in the first uh, uh, coalition uh, negotiations that there was the main field where 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 there was friction right and uh, eventually they solved it by yeah. saying that um, on medical ethical issues um, it, it is a free topic everyone can decide for their own how they how they stand uh, uh, what their stance is and we're not going to make a, a formal coalition agreement about this uh, and the second time the Chris Nuni was uh, 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 that there was the medical ethical issues were again a major source of uh, of of, uh, of of headache in the coalition negotiations. But what's really uh, where the Chris Nuni was also instrumental was um, when we thought that Mark Rutte's political career had ended because after the April first debate, yeah, um, um, Chris Nuni came out. Um, in the weekend of, of Easter, um, uh, Segers gave an interview and he said that, no, I'm, I, I'm not willing to uh, join Mark Rutte again in a coalition. And that was the moment, I think, uh, that weekend, uh, that Easter weekend was at the time where Rutte's political career was, was the most in danger. Um, but he got a lot of criticism uh, for that interview, especially because it was published on Good Friday, uh, which, again, in the Christian tradition wasn't... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is they kind of associated with betrayal and selling out? Yeah. Exactly. It? So, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, 
he got a little bit of criticism uh, about that and then after the Easter weekend he uh, came back from his interview and he said no I shouldn't should not have done this uh, it was bad timing and uh, a lot of people are unhappy with uh, with what I said and he sort of made a U-turn and that was the the moment that uh, Mark Rutte's political career uh, was safe again because yeah. after that uh, it was, yeah, was resurrected you could say it was resurrected yes. yeah you could say that uh, very much <laughs> I think and what also helped is that Johan Remkes uh, sort of uh, decided uh, oh, yeah. single-handedly almost that uh, uh, the f- same four parties uh, needed to try to uh, to to restart the the coalition again um, and uh, Chris Seger said in the interview with NSA when he read that, uh, when that was the advice of of, uh, of uh, Johan Remkes, he he thought, um, oh no, not again. Uh, he was yeah. actually quite <laughs> unhappy with uh, with with this advice, which was uh, yeah not really an advice, but actually an order by uh, by uh, uh, Johan Remkes. And yeah, the rest is history because a couple of months later. Um, uh, uh, Rutte's fourth cabinet was standing at the uh, the uh, 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 staircases of uh, Paleis, Huis and Bos, and um, uh, the Christenunie was uh, was again part of it. So the takeaway from this is that uh, Johan Remkes's word is law, basically in this country. Um, yeah, if he says something, it will happen. <laughs> it will happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, was, did this come as uh, a lot of commentators said that this came as a surprise? Um, and I think we were discussing this just before we started recording so said it was and it wasn't a surprise wasn't it so. yeah it was one of these things that when it was announced you would think yeah it's actually a natural uh, uh, moment for him to sort of step out of the politics uh, 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 ten, 10 years in politics uh, seven years as a coalition partner it is very demanding of course uh, uh, um, 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 meetings with ministers every week um, 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 all the Everything that goes wrong, you have to make decisions about that, of course. There's uh, uh, crisis after crisis. Um, actually, I'm kind of surprised in hindsight that he has lasted this long uh, for seven years. Yeah. Uh, because the, 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 the prime architects of Rutte's third cabinet of this, this coalition, uh, uh, the, the first time this coalition came into power, um, uh, Alexander Pechtold of D66, Sibran Buma of, uh, 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 of the CDA, Klaas Dijkhoff, VVD, leader um they have all uh, they are all gone for for yeah. for a couple of years now and he was the only one uh, apart from Mark Rutte, who is still standing yeah. and um and now it's also again symbolic everyone goes away at some point uh, there's only one person that, uh, that that's that that's always there and that's Mark Rutte. yeah um and so again this is also uh, a symbolic uh, uh uh, again, a lot of symbolism, I think, uh, with the decision made by uh, made by Gertjan Segers. Yeah, I think perhaps it was a surprise that it happened now. Although he said that he'd made the decision uh, some time ago, and he actually wanted to leave earlier, but crises kept popping up, and he sort of felt an obligation to solve them. And I think eventually he's decided um, that enough is enough. Uh, but I think a lot has been made about the differences between the Christian Union days and Zestig, obviously. But I think actually on a lot of the big issues, um, those two parties end up being on the standing on the same side. Uh, um, especially things like immigration, I think, uh, and the, the whole asylum crisis that's currently blowing up and that we're going to talk about in a, uh, quite shortly. But I think Sekers um, has probably had quite a hard time and it's been found it quite hard work keeping his party in the coalition because Chris and Uni are this very solid party, this party that aren't a kind of a power-seeking party. They always get five foot five seats in the elections. I think the last half dozen elections, they come back with five seats. They have a very loyal, very solid voter base, so they're very dependable. Uh, but Sekers 
Sanders has found, but they also have a very strong conscience, obviously. And I think on one the issue that they've really wrestled with their conscience has been this whole asylum um, catastrophe that played out last year with yeah. people sleeping outside uh, on, on the ground outside to Apple and um, the Faith Day and the CDR want much stricter migration controls, fewer people coming at the border, people being obliged to uh, to, to wait in uh, in the region in, sort of in neighboring countries rather than coming to the, the Netherlands and claiming asylum here and the Christian Union have been arguing for a more humane asylum policy and a more uh, fairer distribution and uh, more humane treatment and I think say and, and at the last Christian Uni Party conference, which I think was in October, there was actually a motion from the members uh, recommending that uh, Sekers should withdraw from the coalition over this issue. And I think mm. because this issue has flared up yet again, because the Fefe Day have an enormous internal spats about it, and there's court cases against the asylum minister, Erich van der Berg, I think probably Sekers maybe looked down the road and thought, I can't, you know, I can't hold this together forever. You know, at some point this is going to crack, and I'd rather, you know, I don't want to be dealing with the aftermath. And I think he feels like he's done his bit. And it's time for someone else to try and uh, take on this poison chalice. Hmm. Yeah. And now he's given it to uh, Miriam Bicker, uh, yes. uh, who is a rather unknown um, MP. Even though, if you have uh, if you have followed the uh, Corona, the pandemic um, uh, debates, then uh, she's probably you'll probably recognize her because she was uh, always the spokesperson of uh, the Castanini for uh, this issue. Um, the way you describe Gertrude Segers now, it's not my impression. I think he's someone who takes responsibility always. I don't think he's walking away from responsibility, but I think maybe he's reached a point where he thinks that... You know, th- th- enough th- th- is th- enough. Enough. Right. He's, he's gone as far as he can, you know, and it's yeah, time for okay. someone else to take over. Yeah. The government has suspended its plans to stop refugees with residency permits being joined by their families before they have a settled place to stay. It follows a series of court rulings that the ban breaches Dutch, European and international law. Courts in Breda and Haarlem ruled in favour of refugees last month and there are around 20 more cases pending. And this week the Council of State rejected an application by the Asylum Minister Erik van der Burg to put the rulings on hold while the Cabinet comes up with an alternative plan. It's yet another setback for the efforts to ease the bottleneck in social housing and the overcrowding at refugee reception centres where many people are still waiting for a permanent place to live. The administrative court said the interests of families in being reunited quickly took precedence over the government's need to manage the accommodation of asylum seekers. Hmm. Um, and there was also been a crisis meeting at the Prime Minister's official residence, the Cots House, uh, about this issue, right? Yes, uh, the leaders of all four coalition parties, uh, including Mark Rutte and Gretchen Segers, of course, met <laughs> behind closed doors this week to try to sort out the ampas over asylum. Uh, it's just a very thorny problem moment for the cabinet and kind of for two reasons first there just isn't enough accommodation for all the people who are expected to claim asylum in the netherlands this year uh, obviously with the you know the, the, the turbulence around the world they're expecting uh, a rise in asylum applications the justice ministry is expecting up to fifty-five thousand refugees to arrive during 2023 but there's only space for fifteen thousand. And they've set up a number of temporary facilities in the last year, including some cruise ships that are moored in Felsen. Uh, but those are all uh, the leases on those are ending in April. So that's going to happen just at the point when usually at the stage of the year you start to see refugees starting to arrive at the end of the winter. And the second problem is the coalition parties are deeply divided on the issue, as we've just been talking about. Uh, Mark Ritter flew back from a climate summit in November to 
to quell a threatened rebellion by Fefide party MPs. They wanted to block a bill drafted by van der Berg, who of course is a Fefide minister, uh, that would allow him to overrule municipalities that are unwilling to house refugees. And the CDA and Fefide both want restrictions to be placed on the number of arrivals, and they saw blocking family reunions or suspending them for six months, which was the measure that was taken uh, as a key way of doing that um and that of course has now yeah been thrown into uh well that's now been jeopardized by the by the court rulings on the other hand Desa zestach and the christian want a more humane asylum party and argue that the quotas should be agreed across the european union and they're not prepared to make any more concessions to the fefid the cat's house summit didn't lead to any immediate policy announcements uh, the cabinet has appealed against the council of states ruling and it's going to wait until the judgment, which is due in mid-February, before it uh, decides what steps to take next. Yeah, so uh, um, uh, we we uh, we thought that this uh, crisis was sort of uh, slowing down, at least. Uh, the, you didn't hear too much about it in the media, but yeah, it seems to be that uh, the solutions that the cabinet has come up with weren't... Uh, uh, very sustainable and they uh, basically have to go back to the drawing board uh, to find a solution yeah basically yeah so a mess continues to be a mess uh, yeah i was reading about it this morning the the, the cabinet came up well, the government came up with the uh, with an interesting legal argument where they said that uh, because there was such a squeeze on places they're in danger of uh, the conditions have become so so terrible at to apple and the other facilities that they're in they're at risk of uh, breaching the um you know the the, the uh, international law prohibition on torture because effectively asylum conditions are so bad in the Netherlands now that it's, that it's tantamount to torturing asylum seekers if they allow them to come here, which I thought was a yeah, creative uh, take on the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, pretty creative indeed, yeah. And I'm guessing there are probably lots, lots of very low-hanging ceiling lamps in the accommodation centres <laughs> cent- as well. And that's, uh, that, that, that would be a form of torture. Yeah, and they, they're playing the top <laughs> yeah. 2,000 on repeat probably, yeah. Police and customs officials discovered almost 47 tons of cocaine in the port of Rotterdam last year. That sounds a lot, but it is uh, well down to the 70 tons that was uh, seized last year in Europe's largest port. Meanwhile, the port of Antwerp in Belgium reached a record of 110 tons of cocaine seized, which is uh, up from the 19 tons of 2021. So, uh, yeah, we are beaten by uh, by Belgium. Well beaten um, as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they've really just eclipsed us here. I'm just going to say that I think uh, our drug criminals, the orange drug criminals, are better than, than the red ones in, uh, in, in smuggling cocaine. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I'm just going to use that as an, uh, as an explanation. Uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, they, they just don't get caught so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our criminals are much better. Yeah, um, and also in in Vlissingen, that's a much smaller port in Zeeland. Uh, four tons of cocaine uh, was found in uh, 2022, and that's uh, a doubling compared to last year. And police also arrested 95 people suspected of having a major role in drug smuggling via the port of Rotterdam, compared to only 59 in 2021. But uh, fewer drug runners were arrested while emptying containers or waiting to do so. The police said the seized drugs has a uh, total value of a head-spinning 3.5 billion euros. Uh, but I was just listening to a crime-related uh, podcast, and uh, they said that 
um, um, the price for cocaine is uh, just like the Christian Union in the polls, yeah. uh, stable as as uh, as ever Solid uh, as a rock. for decades. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's 50 euros for a gram or something, and that is always the case. So they can they can seize all these tons of cocaine in the port. Uh, it doesn't have any effect on the price of cocaine. So yeah, yeah. that uh, uh, suggests that uh, there's much uh, much more coming in. There's a lot more coming in than uh, yeah. than, uh, than than that has been seized. So 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 we found a product that is actually immune to this uh, rampant inflation we're having. I was so just p- going to think. get the drug runners uh, importing cheese as well and bread and milk, <laughs> which have uh, gone up by and eggs in, yeah. and eggs. Yeah, which are the things <laughs> that have gone up most in value in the last year. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should call uh, make a call to Vught, uh and <laughs> and see if uh, they can arrange something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and recently, police officials uh, have increased uh, cooperation with South American countries where the cocaine originates, and uh, they have stepped screening and counter-corruption measures among port workers. And most drugs were hidden in fruit, but police also found drugs packed in uh, hollow beams uh, between waste and in double-bottom containers. And I also heard a couple of weeks ago that usually they just have packages of of of, uh, of uh, cocaine hidden among uh, the bananas yeah. but what they are now doing is have banana shaped uh, packages and they uh, put the peel of the banana over it so uh, yeah, that just, is the way they are i was just wondering you're going to ask if they were starting to sew cocaine into bananas and it seems yes like yeah yeah, so um, uh, be careful if you make your uh, banana bread uh, uh, this yes. morning or yeah. uh, have a banana smoothie. It might be that um, 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 it is more dangerous than you think. You could have a bit of an extra kick. Yeah. yeah. Almost as dangerous as an overhanging ceiling lamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also some uh, news about uh, yeah, one of our favorite politicians, former Justice Minister Fred Hopperhaus. Yes, Parol uh, revealed this week that he was put under heavy police protection because of serious threats uh, to uh, thoughts to come from organized crime. Uh, the newspaper writes that the threats are likely coming from Jos L, who's nicknamed Bolle Jos, and he is believed to be a major player in the global cocaine trade. And he was also put on the European Most Wanted list in May 2022. He's also suspected of the disappearance and death of drug trader Naima Jilal uh, and large-scale money laundering. And the public prosecutor service confirmed that security around Hopperhaus has been maximized, but uh, yeah, naturally they refused to say where the threats were coming from. As always, they never yeah. disclose any information about that, of course. No. In September last year, four Dutchmen were arrested in Belgium for plotting to abduct the Belgian Justice Minister Vincent van Quickenborne. Uh, according to Belgian media, Bolle Jos's partner in crime, Floor Bressers, was behind the plan, and police are currently investigating if there is a link between both cases. Um, there is a reward of €75,000 um, if you uh, deliver the tip that leads to Jos L's arrest. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you get a free bottle plank thrown in with this reward as well? <laughs> I think so, yes. A bottle bottle plank. <laughs> and uh, Hopperhaus is not the only politician who's uh, come under threat from organised crime, is he? No, that's right, because during our Christmas break, VVD MP uh, Ulis Elian said in an interview with, again, Parol that he was put under heavy protection. Um, he couldn't say where the threats against him are coming from, but the justice spokesman has recently been very critical about the extra security prison in Vught, where Ridoan Tachi and other members of his criminal organization, nicknamed the Mokro Mafia, are behind bars. And it's also believed that Prime Minister Mark Rutte, too, was a target of the underworld, and his security was also increased in September last year. Uh, the 
threats against him are also thought to originate from the organization surrounding Tachi. It's also thought that um, Princess Amalia, the eldest daughter of King Willem Alexander, mm-hmm. um, she's also a target. She also received threats from uh, um, uh, 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 this organization, yeah. and um, uh, because of that, she um, uh, couldn't start her uh, her study in Amsterdam um, earlier this year. She uh, basically uh, had to stay in the palace, and she couldn't uh, go to her st- uh, to to a student flat in Amsterdam. So yeah, uh, um, uh, 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 very um, uh, yeah, very sad for her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she misses out on that uh, aspect of her student life. So no. Uh even though none of this is confirmed, of course, because no, again, uh, it never uh, is. Uh, yeah. The police and security services they never, they never disclose uh, uh, anything of this. But um, yeah, that it is, uh, it is what the media has reported based on their sources. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's um, Margrethe was always famous for uh, cycling around uh, the Hague without any, 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 any security, without any protection whatsoever. But yeah, that's. Um, Unfortunately, he no longer is allowed to do that, and um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's just uh, very, very worrying and very sad that uh, this is the direction that uh, our country is uh, is going to. Because yeah, there's also that kind of age of innocence, uh, yeah, seems to have come to an end. The housing market boom is uh, well and truly over. House prices dropped by 6.4% year on year in December, according to the Estate Agents Association (NFAM). It's a first decline after nine years in which prices doubled in many areas. The statistics agency, CBS, will publish its official figures later in the month, but it's all a huge contrast to last January when prices were up by 21%. Lana Houtsmith-Kherson, head of the NVM's housing team, said the overheated housing market is behind us, which is good news for buyers, although the bad news is that uh, mortgage rates uh, are much higher, so you might be paying less for your house, but your monthly payments are not coming down. Hmm. And the reason house prices are falling fast, of course, is that we're heading into a recession with uh, rampant inflation and households just have less to spend in general. So it's not really good news at all in that uh, aspect. But there are more homes to choose from. There were nearly 35,000 houses for sale at the start of January compared to 15,500 a year ago. Yeah, uh, I, I really like the name Lana Goudsmits Gersen, I yeah. have to say. Um, seems name. appropriate. There are some regions uh, where the housing prices are falling faster than others, right? Uh, yes, in Amsterdam, Haarlem and the Eimont region, uh, prices have gone down by 9% year on year. And uh, the Hague and Utrecht are down by 7%, uh, but you can still uh, yes, sell your house for a profit if you live in Limburg, Zeeland or Twente. Um, hmm. So if there aren't already enough reasons to leave those places, there's another <laughs> one. <laughs> and uh, what is the long-term outlook? Or is there anything known about that? Uh, it's not not looking that great. I think uh, the, in the insurer Allianz Trade uh, brought out a report this week where it said it expects the Netherlands to be one of the hardest-hit countries in Europe by the housing downturn. Um, not as bad as in Sweden, where prices have already dropped by 15% since March. But Allianz predicts that houses will decline in value by 8% in both the Netherlands and Germany by the end of 2024. I mean, they're predicting 8%, but we're already seeing a 6% drop. And uh, yeah. given that you kind of would expect quite some quite uh, uh, strong compensation for the you know very high increases that we saw during the pandemic, then uh, I think 8% strikes me as quite a conservative estimate. Um, yeah, we so um, yeah, we will, uh, we will see. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the average price, the average house still is changing hands for around four hundred thousand euros. Uh, so, yeah, historically, these are very high prices still. It's that time when we take a moment to say a special thank you to the patrons who've supported this podcast in the last year. 
Uh, we really do depend on your very kind donations to keep serving up these weekly outsmiters of the latest news, <laughs> political developments, and OPEF. New patrons get a shout-out on the podcast, and if you like, you can ask us a question. This week we welcome James Derry, so... Thank you very much, you very James, much. for your contribution. We had a question from Steve Thornton, who wrote to tell us about his tribulations with inbound postal charges. This is kind of a bugbear for a lot of people, especially British people, of course, because in the wake of Brexit, the UK is now classed as a third country, and that means that sending stuff <laughs> back and forth has got an awful lot more expensive than it was when we were in the European Union. But uh, to cut a very long story short, uh, Steve says he's, he's, his mother, who's in the United States, tried to send a box of treats to a relative in the Netherlands for Sinterklaas, and she was charged by Postonel for delivery but the householder wasn't home so the package was rejected hmm. and ended up being sent back to the States but of course she'd already paid the charges so Steve estimates she spent around $120 altogether on some sweets and goodies that never actually arrived oh. so um, yeah, all I can say is very sorry to hear uh, your story Steve obviously I, mean, I have um, uh, replied in a bit more detail to him but I think the general thing to say here is that uh, Postonel do have a page in English on their website on how to fill in your customs declaration and uh, it is quite clear so it might be a, a good move if you've got people sending you stuff from abroad to just get them to check this page because there are ways that you can pay your charges online and the charges are less if you pay online and if you do it right hmm. you shouldn't pay more than 11 euros on top of your postage rates unless your package is worth more than 150 euros so uh, we're going to put a link to that page in our liner notes he's obviously not the only one uh, or, or his mother is not the only one who um, uh, has to deal with the shenanigans of Postanel. but yeah if you're sending a package internationally then of course uh, it, it gets a lot more expensive and a lot more hassled uh, if uh, something goes wrong yeah so yeah that's just very unfortunate yeah but um i was going to say there's nothing to do about that but apparently there is uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah you of course have a lot more experience with sending things abroad and yeah i wouldn't say we can guarantee hassle-free postage but i think it, it, it is it is a useful yeah. thing to do to check postonel's website that they do try their best to make it easier for you but it, it's just a gigantic hassle if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, log on to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dutch News NL. A possible major discovery for the Oertijd Museum in Bokstol. Did you have you ever heard of the Oertijd Museum in Bokstol, Gordon? I have not. No, <laughs> neither. <laughs> it's a uh, prehistoric history museum in North Brabant, and they may be in the possession of one of the very few dinosaur eggs that contain the remains of an embryo, according to a CT scan. The chances of finding embryo material in fossilized dinosaur eggs are very slim, but the museum decided to give it a go and put 30 of their 182 70 million year old eggs originating from France. Spain and Mongolia under the scanner. It took over a year to prepare everything and make the arrangement with the Jeroen Bos Hospital in Den Bosch, whose uh, CT scanner the museum used. The scans showed signs that one of the eggs might contain petrified elements that may be part of an embryo. If that is indeed the case, it would be a unique find. There are fewer than 10 of those known in the world, and the CT scanner in Den Bosch is uh, not accurate enough to give a definitive answer. The egg will now undergo further 
further scans in a specialized laboratory with better equipment in Switzerland, where a 3D image of the remains will be built. The museum's curator, Jonathan Wallacht, told Dutch News uh, it is going to be a real puzzle, and he suspects that the egg is from a uh, Hadrosaurus, which inhabited North America some 70 million years ago. Um, so yeah, it's uh, very exciting, and uh, if that is the case, then uh, the Oertijd Museum in Bokstel uh, really has uh, put themselves on the map, I think. I looked the museum up. It is uh, a, 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 quite a cute museum, full of uh, replicas of dinosaurs in a greenhouse. Uh, that's basically what yeah. it looked like. But yeah, it's uh, yeah very exciting. And uh, if, if that is indeed the case, that they are in possession of, an, of a dinosaur embryo, um, I might be even... Uh, <laughs> tempted to go to Bokstall for once and uh, and visit their museum. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've, I've got a bad feeling about this somehow. I've, I've seen the movies. This doesn't end well when they just start discovering, start messing around with dinosaur, dinosaur DNA. embryos find a way. Life will find a way. And I think Nordbrabant is not the place where you want the prehistoric <laughs> life to find a way. Especially somehow. with all those drugs laboratories. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Imagine dinosaurs being reintroduced into the wild and stumbling across a stash of cocaine. I think, be... I think Gordon, we should, we should pitch this to Dick Dick Mass, so he <laughs> can turn it into Dick Mass, yes, <laughs> into into one of his dreadful movies. Yeah, maybe a surefire hit. Hopefully, if if it doesn't turn out to be a dinosaur embryo, they won't hang it above the their museum's coffee table. Otherwise, uh, yes. uh, everyone will just bump their head against it. Yeah. Sports news now, and in the absence of the Elfstedertocht, there's only one place to be at the start of January, and it's Weikansee, one of the biggest events <laughs> on the chess calendar, known as the Chess Wimbledon, I was reading this week, takes place in the windswept coastal town, and this year's tournament has been given extra spice by an extraordinary scandal involving cheats, chants, and vibrating anal beads. <laughs> <laughs> the world chess champion Magnus Carlsen is being sued for $100 million by a 19-year-old American Hans Niemann over allegations that Niemann cheated during a match in September. Carlsen suffered a shot defeat with the white pieces and later insinuated that Niemann had used below-the-belt techniques, to say the least, to gain an unsporting <laughs> advantage. A week later, Carlsen resigned from an online match against Niemann after just one move. And in October, during a European Cup competition in Austria, the entire Norwegian team, including Carlsen, allegedly were uh, sat chanting Cheetah Hans in an Austrian bar. Still, at least it wasn't a Munich beer hall. <laughs> The Americans denied any wrongdoing, uh, although he said he did cheat when he was 12 years old at chess, or let's face it, who didn't, uh, and uh, even offered to play his next match naked in order to prove his innocence. Why would he offer to play a match naked, you might be asking yourself. I have I have a lot of questions, but I, I admit that uh, this is one of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, one of Carlson's uh, more bizarre accusations was that Niemann had used vibrating <laughs> anal beads to communicate with the outsiders outside the venue. Um, and uh, basically you get, yeah, fed moves, uh, you could could say. In Morse codes or, or something? or uh... I don't have the technical details of how this might work but apparently this is taken as a serious allegation and uh, the claim went absolutely viral uh, partly because it was amplified on Twitter by uh, Twitter czar Twitter Rasputin Elon Musk but <laughs> mainly because chess fans started googling anal beads uh, in huge numbers yeah. Carlson will be defending his title in Vikansay amid heightened security. Uh, mobile phones and internet watches have been banned. Games will be broadcast with a 15-minute time delay and players will be scanned before each match. Hmm. Whether or not they'll be subjected to a full cavity search has not been disclosed. But uh, Carlson's opponents include the world number two, Ding Liren, and the top Dutch players, Anish Giri and Jordan van Forest. And w when, uh, when will this uh, tournament start? 
Uh, it starts, uh, I think, today, Friday, the Friday ah, the thirteenth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, per- perhaps something to uh, to to look forward to. And something to savor. Yeah. I was going to say. Uh, if you are accused of uh, illegally communicating uh, uh, your moves with rectally inserted anal beads, you don't have to be naked to disprove that. Because, That's what I you know, thought as well. Well, you could be naked and still con- you know, still have your concealed weapon. You know? Yeah. It won't actually prove anything either way. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah no, a lot of questions here, but... Um, Nice form of opf, to say the least. Yeah, this American guy is obviously thinking a lot of moves ahead here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's the uh, Grand Slam of chess. Uh, what about the first tennis Grand Slam of the year? Yeah, the Australian Open, uh, yeah. which starts next week. And there are three Dutch players taking part, ah. uh, all of whom had good news this week. Uh, Bortik van der Zanschulp uh, was promoted to 32nd seed following the withdrawal of the world number one, Carlos Alcaraz and Marin Cilic. And the man in form is Talon Kriegspoor, who turned his form right around this week by winning the, the Maharashtra Open Tournament in India, uh, which ended a four-month losing streak on the ATP Tour for him. Hmm. So he'll be uh, quite optimistic. And the two could play each other in the second round if Kriegsborg beats his opponent Pavel Kotov of Russia and Van der can overcome the Belarusian Ilya Ivashka. So Russia and Belarus teaming up there, nothing to worry about, I'm sure. And in the women's draw, Ariana Hotono, who's ranked 237th in the world, has made it through the qualifying tournament and will line up against Shelby Rogers of the USA. And uh, yeah, the, the Dutch star of Wimbledon of last year, Tim van Rijthoven, uh, he uh, will not play at the Australian Open because he is injured and he had to um, give up uh, at, at the qualification uh, game. So um, we will not see him uh, in Melbourne, unfortunately. Um, but what we will see are uh, very, very mediocre football players in the Netherlands because the Eredivisie is back in business, right? It is, yes. Uh, no January break uh, this year for the Netherlands top footballers because uh, the league paused for the World Cup. Cody Gakpo is the top scorer in Dutch football, but he won't be adding to his nine goals because he's moved to Liverpool for a fee somewhere in the region of 50 million euros. Mm. So he had a good World Cup. Yeah. All three of the top sides drew at the weekend, which means Feyenoord hold a three-point advantage over Ajax and PSV. The big match this weekend is Ajax against fourth-placed FC Twente, who are just one point behind them. And uh, an honourable mention to two amateur sides, the Treffers from Kruisbeek and FC Spakenburg. They yep. caused the major upsets in the second round of the Dutch Cup this year, knocking out Cambuur, Leeuwarden and Groningen, respectively. So, a bad year for the northern sides. Yes, I know someone from Spakenburg. That's a very small former Fischer town um, ah. in, uh, I think it's Utrecht. Um, it's basically the Urk of Utrecht. Uh, right. You, you, can, you can describe it like that. And uh, they were all very excited with this win. And uh, yeah, indeed, they did very well. Uh, I believe yeah. they, they, they were 2 nil. They had a 2 0 lead. 3 0. They were 3 0 yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they got two penalties, I think, in the game as well. So, mm. And then Konya came back but couldn't quite get the equalizer. So well done to Spakenburg. Yes. Uh, we had, of course, the uh, OPEF of the Year uh, Christmas Break special um, where we discussed uh, all the best OPEFs uh, that we had in 2022. And it is uh, now time for me to uh, announce the winner of this. Um, everyone had a chance to vote. Uh, some had uh, more chances than others, uh, especially uh, uh, one certain uh, Molly Q from Delft. Yes. She tried to rig the elections, but unfortunately uh, uh, for us, the democracy on this podcast is strong enough to um, to thwart her efforts at, a, at an insurrection 
So yes, exactly. Yeah, no Brazilian conditions on this podcast. <laughs> no, or or American conditions. Um, <laughs> Gordon, what was what were your nominees again? Do you remember? I've actually completely forgotten. No, I think I nominated the Umbo, uh, the Umbo advert, and was it the phone booth? No, it wasn't the phone booths. Uh, no, I did the phone booths. I don't know if you did the phone booths. I did Umbo and possibly to Apple. The Wolves. Oh, to Apple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think you did the to Apple and the uh, Jumbo uh, advert, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I nominated um the um uh, the phone booths, the expensive phone booths and yeah. the Jeff Bezos bridge yeah. and um Molly had the others. Um wh- wh- which one do you think won? I think probably uh Glennis Grace was a contender as well, wasn't she? But yeah. I think uh yeah, I I think it might have been Glennis Grace. Okay. Okay. Um yeah, let's uh let's announce uh, the winner then. Um Yeah, very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. The winner won with uh, 48%. Um that means wow. that we have another 48 52%. Uh, uh <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, that uh, brings back uh, a traumatic experience for you, I think. Yeah, it's a ratio of doom. I will uh, I will start from the bottom and I will uh, work my way up. It's uh, okay. almost like uh, we're we're on a chess tournament in Vikansé. Um <laughs> The nomination that won zero percent of the vote is the expensive ministerial boots. So no really? one voted for that. I'm very disappointed by that. Yeah, yeah. because it was my nomination. I'm very disappointed with that. <laughs> uh, then uh, the second one with three point seven percent. That is uh, the Glennis Grace's uh, okay. uh, jumbo gang. <laughs> Um, then we have a tie on um, what is it? Uh, third place, eleven point one percent for Ter Apple, and eleven point one percent for the Painball Wolves. Also disappointed. Uh, well, Painball Wolves. I would expected them to do better. Yeah. I thought so too. Yeah. Yeah. And then number two is I'm proud to say with twenty six percent the Jeff Bezos Bridge. Right. And uh, the winner is then of course. If I can find a rights-free drum roll, then I will edit it in here. And otherwise, uh, I will okay. do it myself. The winner is the Jumbo World Cup Conga commercial. So uh, good, uh, good job to you, Gordon. You won, uh, you. You won uh, this year's Open of the Year nomination. Uh, but that is, of course, um, uh, not so important. What's really important is who will win this special uh, Dutch News Ophef mark. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, put every name of everyone who has voted in this uh, yeah sort of uh, wheel and of course the patreon supporters they have double the chance so their names uh, are in twice now i'll yeah. now click on the button to spin the wheel the wheel of and misfortune the name that comes up is come on uh, let me see what name <laughs> corresponds with this email address because <laughs> oh, it's a seamless preparation that you've got to got to admire yeah, on this uh, podcast Ah, Ines Martinez. Uh, Ines Martinez. Well done yeah. to you. Yeah, yeah, well done to you. You've you also voted for the winner. I see now. So uh, yeah, you did very well. And uh, I will email you and I will ask you for your email address and uh, so we can send the mark to you. So uh, so you mean your email last for a postal address? You got her email address. Oh yeah, yeah. So, yes. Sorry, I'm, <laughs> that's what I meant. And hopefully yeah. we will not have uh, too. Hopefully we will not have too much hassle with PostNL. Otherwise, uh, exactly. we will lose all yeah, our donations we'll for this month. Uh, <laughs> on yeah. sending it to you but uh, yeah we will find a way do, do I get a mug as well for nominating the winner yeah I also have a mug for you yeah so uh... oh fantastic thank you that's made my week
So congratulations to Enes and uh, congratulations too to Yumbo Supermarkets for providing this glorious OPEF uh, yep. that was supported, that was uh, voted for by 48% of, of our listeners. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. Did, should we send a, uh, a mug maybe to Fritz van Eert as well, the CEO, CEO of Jumbo, who's uh, you know, having a hard time these days with his police investigations? I think he prefers a cake with a uh, with with a, with a file inside it. Yeah, with a file inside. Yeah, I think that's what he prefers. Yeah, we'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. Uh, you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. And if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast, uh, leave us a rating, and uh, if you can afford it, back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl, and you'll earn yourself a free shout-out on the podcast uh, by giving us money. I don't know how that works, but anyway. <laughs> My thanks to Paul Peters uh, and to all the, the people who voted in the Op Path of the Year Awards. Uh, I'm Gordon Derrick, and we'll be back next week. Music.